Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today, all the way from the other side of the world, is Sophie Fien, author of a brand new book, Soul of Startups. She's also an old friend. I remember recording a video for her, for you, Miss Sophie, when you were doing the round the world thing.、Um, that was quite fun. We need to talk about that. And most recently, you were also the chief people officer of Boog. Welcome、Yay. to the show, Sophie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about what we want to talk about today. I know, I know, and and you and I and Stephanie, we had so much fun before the recording.、Um, anyway, before we start, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey, literally around the world journey?、Um, and、uh, I, I I still want to know because I remember that raise that you did was a payment raise. Yeah. Were you the credit card? I was in credit card. card. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. So tell us about all of that. Yeah. Sure. Sure.、Um, so I am a startup advisor now. I do founder coaching as well. Recently published a book,、uh, which is really exciting. We'll talk about that later.、Um, but around the world, I was originally、um, from Australia. Came over, like you said, over to the other side of the pond. Came over to the UK because I keep hearing this. What is this startup word? What is this fintech word? Because it doesn't really exist. We're talking about what seven, eight years ago now, and I decided to come over. Got my first big break in working for Revolut, which was very interesting.、Um, also, food for thought. <laughs>、um, but yeah, it was really, it was really, really good. If I'm being perfectly honest, I think most of the people that I still keep in touch, including you now. I mean, we cross paths because of the amazing industry in fintech. So. Yeah, I count myself really lucky, but it's also taken me, you know, back and forth a little bit. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, the reason why I've written the book is also because I wanted to kind of give that platform and、uh, give that voice back to people who kind of went through very similar journeys with me. And yes, about the payment raise,、um, that was money twenty twenty, I believe. I remember, and this was what three, four years ago now, where we technically had to go around the world to use as many transport as possible and only live, sleep, breathe on everything that can only be paid with、um, card, credit card, no Apple Pay, no nothing like that. And we had to go around the world in 15 days, and to basically complete that challenge. So you can imagine just going into countries, surprisingly like Hong Kong, where it was probably one of the countries that I struggled the most because I just couldn't obviously buy street food with、um, card. So that was a huge disappointment. I think one of the recent ones they did too was、um, I wanted to say use use Bitcoin、yeah. to go around the world. That's kind of wild. I I don't know how people would fare in places like Singapore, for example, to、so、ban the Bitcoin ATM.、Um, so it's I, I think as much as we celebrate how far we have gone with fintech and payments and stuff, you would know this. We still have so much longer to go. For、I'm、sure, writing checks. This is the funny thing about like the U.S. as well. I don't think I've seen a piece of check in a long, long time. We left our checkbooks in here. What can I say? <laughs> so our it's, HOA it's is check. Like, I've seen recently a whole thread on like Twitter around like tipping service folks, like tipping at hotels、mm-hmm. and like tipping the valet person, and 
so many folks who are asking for digital options, right, to pay because none of us carry cash anymore. And then you have the other side of the equation of, okay, yes, you know, little Miss Fintech, you want the convenience of paying electronically, but think about the other side of the person now, whether or not they have the capability of receiving electronically. Right. Maybe they need the cash so they can take the bus to go home in the afternoon. So like there's so much controversy yeah. around like digital tech for payment and like the impact on both sides. It's not just about us, right? <laughs> it's not just about us. Wait. Right, you're right. <laughs> but just aside though, I I think the silver lining from the last two years was also that there are more terminals that accept digital payments. Um, I was very surprised when I went to Hong Kong. I could actually pay for taxi literally now. It used to be cash only. That's like the only way. The only way you can get a cab in Hong Kong was just cash, hardcore cash. And like you said, the street side and all of that is cash. And last month when I went back, it was all like Apple Pay. Apple Pay everywhere. So that change was was nice. And it was the same in London when I was there over the summer. It was all um, Apple Pay and, and the caps and all of that. So I'm trying really hard to find what, if any good thing that came out from the last two and a half years. And if anything, it's the, all of a sudden we realize, wait, we don't always have to touch everything. What can we do better? So that that is a little bit that is a little bit um, better, I guess. Tell us about Boom. Um, what are you doing there? Because you've been there for like a year or so. Yeah, yeah, coming up to a year now. Um, Boom is really interesting. It's a very exciting place where it's completely people centric. Me being me, I'm I'm easily drawn and love working for companies who are you know people centric. They do the right things for people. Um, and they are a startup. They're about three, four years old now, um, based predominantly in Italy. That's where they started as well. So it was really interesting to kind of, I came in to help them build the culture out, um, but also went into fully remote, fully distributed. And it was really exciting to kind of see, you know, I've always kind of, you know, when I first started working in the startup world, I've usually been in the UK and then we kind of expanded from the UK and we always have this we always had this idea where we are the pioneers of what distributed work looks like what remote working looks like but you ever you always hear that HQ is going to be one of these major countries right either the UK or the US or any like Berlin you talk about things like that but then be coming from a small place like Milan I'm not saying that it is small but it's also you know easily not as advanced um, but distributing the entire workforce and still not really defining whether or not you have a main city that you call HQ is actually very interesting. It creates a lot more equality, actually, um, compared to just having to anchor that you have a HQ and people need to behave a certain way, right? You almost think like, oh, you know, English must be your main language in a startup if your HQ is in the UK. But actually, in, in this particular startup, what I have found was that people were very free to converse with each other in whatever language that they feel like they need to use. And so therefore, we only had one professional language, which is anytime we come into a meeting, we would use English. Obviously, it's the easiest way to con uh, communicate with each other. But at the same time, you would just let people be in their own space. So there's a lot more individuality, right, that you can embrace. And you would see sometimes I come into a meeting, and they would have been talking about, you know, I don't know, telly, telly from yesterday, and they would be discussing about something else in a completely different language. And here I am completely barging in and go, right, sorry, 
should I give you a moment to finish up? And it never really felt weird because you kind of go, yeah, I get it. You know, it's their space now. And I was early to the meeting and I, you know, I will wait my five minutes before I, you know, it's my time or went before the meeting starts. So it was really nice to see. So it was very, very enjoyable to kind of build a culture like that, that is already based on diversity from the early on. Wow, oh, I, I really love that. that. Right? I love that. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, I think that that brings us to kind of like the next topic. First of all, congratulations, Sophie. Sophie, you're an author. Thank you. So excited about the book, The Soul of Startups. Uh, please tell us how how did the idea for the book come about, and what was the writing journey like for you? Yeah, um, the book. Um, has has kind of been therapy for me, if I'm being perfectly honest. It was pandemic, you know, what else can you do? You pick up new hobbies, you hear people, you know, pick up knitting. I just kind of felt like I didn't really have the patience to do something as artistic and creative like that. So I decided, you know what, there's been a long time, many, many years, people have been asking me to share my stories about, you know, the good and bad. And when you're a HR person, you really sometimes tend to hold your tongue. Because also, you know, the intricacies of me being in a role that is usually very, very close to the founders. We either work in tandem or, or against each other to do either the right or the bad thing for the companies. So for me, it was kind of like, is this the time where I share my stories, I share my experience, and I also bring some learning back to the world? And one thing led to another. I started writing as a journal first. And then I started getting linked up to different people who had similar stories to tell me. And I realized more and more people actually was just so afraid of speaking up because either one, we didn't have the forum and the channel for it, if you think about it, right? HR people are heavily punished for saying the wrong things. It is also, it's also this misrepresentation of their role that they are there to either fix the problem when there is a problem, when they also particularly know that they didn't create it in the first place. How can I, how can I fix something that, you know, I'm hardly part of or hardly responsible for? Um, and then finally, it was really just not having the, the right community or the right voices for people to kind of go, look, I have this story and it really annoyed me and I hope I can get it out there because someone else would hopefully not make the same mistakes as I did. So for me, it was really important because as I was stringing them all together, I felt like I hope I'm doing everybody justice. This is the channel that I can, you know, send out. And surprisingly also, which, which I'm really, really happy about is people, more people after the book has come out has sent me more messages around, hey, I actually know another person who went through very similar things. If you would like, I would link you to up. Maybe you have a second book or maybe you can give them the space to talk about their stories as well. So it's more like, I would love to keep the conversation going, but it's also really, really nice to see that this was a conversation that has been desperate. People wanting to talk about it and not have the space to. That seriously sounds like the start of a podcast, Sophie. <laughs> soul of startups there are so many stories like i have my own as well i know dia does too um it is like you said like it is 
still kind of like this unknown world, especially for some of us who've grown up in like the Fortune 500 mm. big corporations, right? Like making that transition from like corporate to startup is in itself a big journey, right? And then you have folks who are coming out of college and joining startups too, without any life experience or work experience, entering these cultures or non-cultures, shall we say. Um, so yeah, I see it. I see a podcast in your future. That's my prediction. <laughs> I think I agree with that. We, uh, we need to work on that, Sophie, because I absolutely agree with you on having a community that people can get together and share stories. Part of it is therapeutic. Part of it is can we learn something out from it so we don't repeat it? And, and that part is important because I think so many stories out there that we celebrate success, right? Things that work. But for every one instance that worked, I would say probably there are hundreds of them that did not work. And things that, you know, we probably didn't have to go through the same pain um, that we did. There were probably warning signs, right? That's flashing in front of us that we just ignore. Or, you know, perhaps someone could have been in a position to change a trajectory. Um, and we didn't. So, so I, I, I love the sharing part. And I love your point about writing is therapeutic. And, and I would absolutely encourage everyone else who is listening, please do share. We love people who share. And we would love to amplify anyone who wants to share. Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly it, right? I think, yes, yes, that, you know, we, we don't have people, we don't have the forum for people to really talk about their stories. I think it's also really important to note that you know, writing this book isn't about calling out the bad behaviors, not to punish people or, or shame them, right? At the end of the day, it's really one, I would hope that founders feel that they're not alone and it's okay to make mistakes, but let's, you know, find something to learn from this because I think it's really important and it starts from them. On the other hand, I also truly hope that if any founders were to pick up this book would realize that it's never truly too late. You hear people say, oh, is it too late for me to fix the culture now? It's because, you know, we've done all of these mistakes. And I would have, on the other hand, advised them to say, well, maybe not. There's, there's so many ways to skin the cat. So let's have a think about, you know, what were the good things that we have done? And even exactly like what you were saying earlier, out of all the good, there must be some mistakes along the way that have made you even better version of yourselves right now. So I think it's really important to not take it as, I know when, when the book first came out, people were like, oh, are we going to hear some stories that you never really shared before because we were really wanting to dig into it? And I go, well, this isn't a dig at people who have done the wrong thing. This is more around, we probably have touched some parts of these lives throughout our career. We have seen small parts of these patterns for sure, but it means that it's never too late and it is fixable. I love that perspective, right? It's, you know, a lot of it is lessons learned. We have been there, we have done that. This is what we learned and this is how you can pivot in the future to make it better. I love that. Speaking of sharing, um, so the good, the bad, the ugly, startups, founders, and culture. You know, every time we think we've seen it all, we get surprised and I shall not name the <laughs> founder of the co-working space that didn't quite make it 
they got a shit ton of money to do this all over again. We're not going to go there. Um, but anyway, tell us, Sophie, what are some of like your most memorable moments in your startup journey? Um, well, long list, right? Um, if I were to pick two ends of the spectrum, you know, the, the, the bad and the good, the, the very south and the very good, I think um, some of the most memorable ones are usually a collection of each other. For example, like I've definitely worked with founders, CEOs who are keen learners, as I explained or I described them in the book. They are either very new in the business, probably exactly like what, Steph, you were saying earlier, people coming out of college and never done this before, but were so keen to just pick up learnings along the way and not let their ego get in the way as well. That's really important. And then just create these incredible businesses, you know, places where people would want to go to as work, not just because it's a badge of honor, but it's also because they truly get a lot of joy and motivation going into working in that workplace. And I'm not talking about everybody coming out of that workplace, becoming a star player. It's more of, do I want to wake up every day to go into this workplace? And I think that is the essence there that I think a lot of people forget because you can get a badge of honor, like you can work for Google, but does it actually mean that it is as rewarding as you want it to be, especially for your own personal circumstances? And I think that that's the most important thing. Whereas the very South ones are, you know, places where I don't know why I never learned the mistake and I keep getting myself into these same cultures where I keep telling myself that it is fixable. You know, there's a teaching moment here and we can get everybody together and we can fix the problem. And six months later, we're back at square one. So those are definitely memorable, but also very important for me to realize I can't save everybody, nor can I solve all problems. But, but... If we do it together, I think that we are less likely to fail. It's a team effort for sure. I'm not going to guess which ones of those those are, but I think for those of you who have followed Sophie in her journey, you can probably guess which ones those are. Miss um, <laughs> let's talk about. DEI. Is it okay to say I'm tired of talking about DEI because we keep talking about DEI and I, nothing has changed. Has anything changed? I love the conversations, but we're always the one doing the conversations and we're always the one saying and it needs to be fixed. It can be fixed and here's how to fix it. And it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. It's not that we didn't know things need to be fixed. Although some others might contend that it does not need to be fixed. And it's not like we do not have enough numbers to come out and say, hey, you can do better, not just to make yourself look better, but because it makes business sense. We have all of those numbers. I remember Gala said it quite a few years ago. She said, we don't lack numbers. We're not doing anything, not because we don't have the business case to justify what we need to do. It's something else. And is that something else? It's lack of representation, lack of incentive to change the SD culture, the leadership, the more and all of that. It feels like a, a buffet that just keeps turning and turning and turning. Um, and it doesn't surprise us or should it surprise us? Um, Sophia, are we going to keep talking about this in 10 years? I, I think hope not, but you hope not, but I think we, we do, right? 
because we are incentivized by the wrong things. We don't have enough sponsors, exactly like what you say. And it starts from even the small matters. Are we seeing a good representation of diverse teams to start with? Let's not talk about the entire umbrella. Let's not talk about the leadership team. Let's just talk about a small, you know, a small team of five people. Do are they diverse in the way that they make decisions? Do they take everybody's opinion on board? Is there an autocratic um, manager in play hiring exactly the same kind, kind of like breeding your own kind way? And if that happens, that would easily just spread like wildfire in a company and you easily just, you know, you're 200 people now and you accept that to be part of your culture because it works. So how would you know differently? And this is the point of, you know, the misrepresentation of our understanding what culture truly means is this collective behavior that we accept to be okay. So, you know, from day one, it was like that. Day 100 would have been no different unless something major in a company happens and you suddenly need it to pivot because it's now starting to be painful. You're seeing the detrimental effects. You immediately go, maybe something needs to change. But ever so often, if it works, you forget about it. So it goes back to the root, right? We we talk about we will continue to talk about DEI for the rest of days, but because we're not focusing on the right thing, you don't see teams. I don't see enough, at least in my own perspective, I don't see enough diverse teams to start with. So let's not talk about whether or not we have um, a, a diverse enough board member or a diverse enough, you know, leadership team. We're not talking about token titles here we're really talking about well we are incapable of even accepting other people's opinion because we think it might not work if it's not ours simple as that i can't agree more one a lot of companies are not even thinking about this but I mean, when we think about like the next generation of workers, employees and leaders, right? Gen Z, they're not only looking at social and environmental impact and assessing who they work for. They're looking at leadership teams. Yeah. They're doing their research. They're looking at their websites and they're like, yeah, if everybody looks the same on your leadership team and on your board, I'm going to pass. Um, so... Yeah, we might still be talking about this 10 years from now, but it's going to be through very different lens of what the workforce looks like. For sure. So that would be my advice to leadership right now. And we look for what's comfortable. If you think about it, you would go through an interview process, for example, and you would probably have six rounds of interviews, depending on whatever you know level that you go for. And all through the six rounds, you've had very comfortable, if not familiar conversations with these new people who are actually strangers. Then you immediately kind of think, I would absolutely fit in, right? But at any one point throughout this interview process, you might meet one or two people who are slightly conflictive or slightly challenging, you kind of go, maybe I wouldn't fit in, so I wouldn't want to be part of it. But it's actually that conflict that creates the right kind of environment for diversity to survive. But if we're just looking for our own kind because it's comfortable, because it is familiar, because it makes you feel more confident, then what are we talking about? We're still talking about this at the end of days. And this is where I really hope 
you know, a lot, like I do, I do believe that HR and talent have a huge role to play here, except I think we're focusing on the wrong things. It's not about putting more of my, our diversity stats on our career page. It doesn't really make sense if you don't feel belong, but how can you feel belong if it's not embedded as part of your process, even as early as your, your interview stage, stages? And this is where I, sometimes I kind of go, I ask myself even because I fall into that trap. Do I just want to work with people who speak and share the exact same mindset as me? Will it be challenging enough? Am I actually changing the status quo here? And if there are people out there who want to challenge themselves, then I, I do believe they would go into these companies and actually bring a slightly different value and create different teams. Yeah, it's not just celebrating September as Hispanic Heritage Month or like starting the women's ERG and putting it on your website, right? It's so much more than that. Yeah, it's more than uh, changing the logo um, color. Don't, don't get me started. June, don't get me started. Right? June, you change the logo color. March, all of a sudden, you miraculously are able to find women to come speak on your panel. But just only in March, though, because we disappear for the rest of the year. And we're going to label it. We're highlighting female leaders. Exactly. We found that one woman, and that woman's face is going to be on there the entire month. The rest... Nah, don't worry about it. Um, I was just telling someone the other day, I, f I saw a panel that came through with five men talking about the future of banking and crypto and payments. And they all have beard. I'm like, hmm, at least you could have put one guy without facial hair. <laughs> there could have been some diversity, right? No, 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 no. All five of them look exactly the same. And if you're listening... And if you're doing it, you find yourself in that situation, please, for the love of God, find a colleague, find a friend, just take yourself out from the equation and insist on adding some different voices, different perspective, because it matters. Every single chance that you can put someone else on there matters. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a startup, if you're a bigger company or you are fortune 500 and sophie i did have a conversation with one of your ex-ceos quite a few years now who told me that startups do not need diversity because they couldn't afford it and that's something for bigger companies anyway i didn't i didn't know mind blown emoji oh yeah mind blown no it comes with a price tag it does come with a price tag of course everything comes with a price tag because it costs money it costs money to change the logo color too. I wonder why they do that every year. Because apparently, <laughs> my, you know, my, minorities, we get paid more when we're asked to speak at events, right? We do. We get paid. Afford us. <laughs> oh, do, do not get me started on that one. Um, yeah, it, it hurts. It hurts. Oh, remember, remember Theo, one time there was like a panel of gentlemen. They were all named Bill. Literally. Four guys on a panel, all named Bill. Not even diversity in first names. Oh, <gasps> that would be too much work. <laughs> Come on. You want to have a, a non-Bill on there on a Bill panel? Don't do that. It's money, after all. Bill means something. No, I thought one of them was William. And short name Bill. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah. It, we are asking for too much now. No, 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 Steph. No, come on. 
you, we can't be asking for too much. We need to lean in more. That's what I always get told. You need to put yourself out there and do more. Just do more for free, hopefully. Um, you know what happens the last there. time I try to lean in? I fail on my face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I tell people, I said, I lean in so much. I'm constantly toppling over. And why do I have to keep leaning in when others don't have to do anything? They don't have to lift a finger. And yet women just kill ourselves. Just try to do more. Can you do this? Yep. Can you do this? It's good for your visibility. Wait, wait, why, why? For my visibility? No, for your visibility. I literally had someone who approached me and insisted that I appear in their conference because it will be good for my visibility. And the only reason why he reached out was because he wanted to do more for women. Oh, wow. And he also added and emphasized that normally I would not be reaching out for people with your profiles. No. What is my profile, I wonder? So mm -hmm. needless to say, I said, no, thank you. I do not need more visibility. I have, I have what I need. Thank you yeah. so much. So the last thing you need. Right. And I feel like between all of us, we have enough to probably do a second book for you. Third book, perhaps a podcast and a whole lot more. But I am curious, though, because you did mention that, Sophie, people keep coming back to you for stories, conversations, and these are not conversations that should end when your book is published. These are conversations that start and need to continue until mm -hmm. someone actually understands what the heck we're talking about. So if you were to start working on a second book, and please do that, what would that be? Um, I have been toying with this idea that the problem isn't just obviously like with the founders, right? We talked about the soul of startups, but part of the soul of startups are also, let's go a little bit lower in the pyramid chain, the management team. <laughs> and, you know, I have, I have had the pleasure to meet some great companies, great CEOs, actually great founders that may or may not have had their management team fail them. And it's interesting that, management don't usually um, get punished for it because they go from jobs to jobs and because they were trying to just do the job that they were hired for, they would often blame that it's the wrong environment for them and therefore take no responsibility when they're part of the problem. But when you own the company as a founder, you immediately get the blame. So maybe the next round, the next season, I would say, I would love to give some space back to the founders, let them breathe a little before we shine more limelight on them and then actually start talking about what it means to be a good management team. Because it's not just about the founders, right? Even, even in some companies, you may fail because you've got a bad management team and business just doesn't sustain. It's that person, that one alone founder cannot do it all. I can agree more. I think it takes, we do say a lot, it takes a village. It takes a village to make things work. And it also takes more than one person to, to actually topple everything too. Um, it goes both ways. So ladies, we are almost at the end of 2022. I do not understand what happened. Um, the last two years was COVID black, like black hole. This year, I don't know what it is. Um, what 
what do you both have to look forward to for next year? It's 2023 almost. Hmm. Well, maybe the second book. And I do, I do definitely want to keep the conversation going. So whoever that is listening, you know, if you've got stories to share and you want to get some free therapy out of me as well, I am more than willing to listen. And if I have anything to share back with you to, you know, help, help other people in the same space, absolutely. I'm also actually toying with the idea of doing some um, culture workshops just to help some of the HR folks who may or may not be struggling and dare not even raise their hand to tell their founders that something is wrong would hopefully be helpful for um, the people in my community. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, my kind of like big passion right now is all things financial literacy especially with my kids getting older, you know, we're having conversations about money and what that means and how you use it and how you save and spend and invest. So my big friend for 2022 is going to be spending a lot more time around what innovation looks like in financial literacy for like the next generation. I don't want them to make the same money mistakes I made. <laughs> wow. I, I like that. I, my kids are, old enough now to know that they need to be a little bit more responsible with money but it's still a hard concept to have to understand this is the part you have this is what you can cannot do with it and these are the consequences i think that that takes time to to gel into and well, I, I gotta tell you like a quick story about my five-year-old which my husband shared with me last week um they were going to dunkin donuts so like he's into donuts now, like that's the current thing that he's into. So he gets to the store and my husband's like, well, you know, Michael, you want to use your money to pay for the donuts today? And he looked at my husband in the eye and he was like, no, I am saving my money for a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> like he's five. And we're like, wow, he's, he understands. Like he gets it. He gets it. So that was our big aha moment. That is good though. Um, does, does he have like a pocket money every week that he gets or how does that work? So this the conversation happened because he just had a birthday. Oh, and okay. And received like cash from the grandparents for his birthday. So he had used a little bit of cash to get like some, what is it, Pokemon cards. And then he was asking to save the rest. But I didn't realize that he intentionally was planning to save for a Nintendo Switch because he's been asking for one and we're like, you're five, we're not spending that kind of cash on tech for you. So he's like, fine, I'm going to save the money and buy it myself. Thank you. Oh, good for him, Michael. Good job. Next thing you know, you need to introduce him to NFTs. Um, yes, that's on the list. <laughs> that's on the list. <laughs> My daughter was asking me that. Um, she's nine and she's like, yeah, you know, mommy, what is this NFT thing? What do we do? I'm like, hold your horses. A little bit. Hold your horses a little bit. Um, anyway, this is fun. Before we let you go, Sophie, where can people find your book? Um, yes, it's on Amazon in the UK. It's also on Amazon in the US as well. And then your usual um, bookstores like Barnes & Nobles will have it um, and Target. Oh, awesome. I learned something new. All right. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sophie. And 
It is going to be my 2023 goal. I cannot believe I so have yet to meet both of you in real life. Sophie, I was very close. I got this button of yours with your face on there in Vegas that one year. I think I still had it on my desk. And I'm like, I need to look for you. No, I can't find you. So I will find you. And Steph, there's absolutely no reason why we still have yet to meet. So we will need to fix all of that next year. That's my life go. And um, so thank you so much for, um, for spending time with us again. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.